Hello, and welcome to episode six of That 60s Recording Podcast. My name is Joe Montague, and I am your host. Um, and today we are talking to another Joe, Joe Kane, um, who is uh, I've known for a, a few years now, um, two or three years, um, through the Beatles tribute world. Um, Joe is a professional Paul McCartney, um, as you'll hear about more in uh, in the episode. Um, and we met gigging together. Um, and then I started working with Joe um, playing drums for his original project, um, the Radiophonic Tuck Shop, and then more recently Chino Feldi, um, which again you'll hear more about through the episode. Um, Joe is an incredibly talented musician um, and prolific songwriter. And I was really keen to get him on because his writing process really interests me. Um, he has such a relaxed manner about the way he goes about writing, but seems to also be very specific in, in terms of knowing what he wants. Um, and that sort of balance um, I find really interesting and uh, find him really easy to work with. Um, he has some great advice on cheap gear that sounds great. Um, he doesn't have anything um, super duper expensive, but it makes a great sound. Um, and uh, he comes up with some really creative ideas in the studio um, in terms of recording and in terms of songwriting. Um, and uh, is just a all round great guy. And I think you'll really enjoy this episode and get a lot from it. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, here we go. Joe Kane. So today we are joined by Joe Kane from Glasgow, and he is, um, as well as a, a songwriter, he is a professional Paul McCartney. Are you happy with me calling you that? <laughs> well, that's what I've been doing, so to call anything else would be blatant lie. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and I mentioned you're a songwriter, so you have your a uh, project that you're currently working from, which is um, the Radiophonic Tuck Shop, and yep. that's what's Sorry. happened there. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, it was just my phone sliding down the the mixing desk. Amazing. I I can edit all of this stuff out. Don't you worry. Right, cool. <laughs> um, so I was gonna. So you've got the Radiophonic Tuck Shop. That's your. So looking on your sort of band camp, you're you're a prolific, quite a prolific writer. But the Radiophonic Talk Shop is is kind of the latest incarnation of you as a solo artist. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And then before that, you were. So the the first band I could find evidence of you being in was the Owsley Sunshine. Is or did more come before that, or was that your the the sort of the first um, serious band you were with? That was the first serious one in terms of recording. Before that, I was in a band that was a very kind of punky, uh, late teenage years angsty band called The Stunts. Mm -hmm. And um, anything we recorded was basically done at rubbish studios where you paid a stone guy hundreds of pounds to do uh, substandard recordings <laughs> with you all in different rooms at different times. So really, with Ousley Sunshine, it was the first time I got into recording properly i'd always done it at home on four tracks and done my own kind of weird demos and stuff but that was the first time i tried to record a band seriously and even then no reason that I, uh, the guy that i met that i started the band with uh, came from uh, leighton buzzard oh, he wow. came from a great he came from a great pool of musicians and uh, basically at the weekend they would go to the studio on the downtime 
that their mate had and just all record all their songs. They didn't play live or anything, they just went and recorded. So when I met him, he had all these amazing CDRs worth of like superb stuff and it was real. I was like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> him and I started a band and we were just writing tunes every day and oh, then nice. recording them for our albums. But I mean, my technical ability was very limited and I basically had a like an old style PC tower that I stole off my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> and we literally just plugged a mixing desk in the back of it um, straight into whatever the sound card was in this thing. And we kind of split the stereo channels so we could at least record two things at once. <laughs> and everything, I think it was recorded at like, Oh, I don't know. Like, is it, but everything sounds like it was recorded straight on a sheet of A4 paper. <laughs> it's pretty, it's, it's pretty lousy. But there's something about it that kind of works. So, yeah, that was that was the first proper recording band that I done, and I, I thought myself, hey, hey, I can record. I'm a producer now. Hey, <laughs> there's a meme going around somewhere that says that, isn't there? Is there? Yeah, where it's, it's a kid gets a a new Mac or something like that, and then suddenly he's a he's a recording bands for money. <laughs> well, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. I should explain when you said the uh, the guy was from Leighton Buzzard. That's near where I grew up, and for a, for a little while, I thought you were being sarcastic because I I know Leighton Buzzard, and no offense to All it, right. but it's not the kind of place where I imagine is a good pool of musicians. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I don't, I don't know that area too well. Is Tring near there? A place is, called yeah. Tring. Well, that's that, I think that's more specifically where he was from. Um, oh, cool. Tring. So there we go. Yeah. So then, how did um, how did you get involved with playing bass in the Beatles? Kind of, I, I call it the Beatles world, but you know, getting involved doing Paul McCartney stuff. Well, that happened to me kind of fairly late on, really, because. The the thing that got me into music and recording was obviously um, the Beatles anyway. So when I was in my early teens, I seen the film Help when I was like 12 or something. And one Saturday afternoon, this is my famous story, one Saturday afternoon um, I was ill and my mum put me on the couch with a quilt and a bottle of Lucasade <laughs> <laughs> and um, put the telly on on the Saturday afternoon and the film Help was on. And I was just like, for that that black and white scene of them at the start, singing Help, that song just kind of spoke to me. So from there, you know, all snowballed from there. So I picked up recordings of the albums and stuff. And it was funny in the 90s when you got into albums because you didn't necessarily get into things in a linear fashion of when they were released. Because you just basically picked things up when you could. Yeah, like from a shop or from a mate, and you would copy a tape or something. So I got into the Beatles albums all in the wrong order. <laughs> uh, but from from there, you know, obviously I wanted to learn guitar and stuff and bass, and so everything spiraled from getting into the Beatles. Also, my love of recording came from that as well because I I wanted to make recordings that sounded like the Beatles, and I still do because I love the sound of all that stuff. So you're you're right-handed naturally, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, but you learned yes. left-handed to play the role of Paul McCartney in in sort of tribute shows. Yeah. Well, sorry, going going by, I just completely ignored your first question. <laughs> <laughs> so having having got into the Beatles and like you know, I started bands and stuff, and I was doing bands and all that for years and years, and but everybody knew me as the Beatle guy because I was so into the Beatles. And I'd always liked Beatles tribute bands, and I always used to go and see them, and I always kind of thought, oh, that would be really cool to do. 
but it just never, it wasn't something that ever come up until um, I got married once by accident. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like a, moved a, a good story. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved away from Glasgow for a short time to a little island called Isla. Oh yeah, and where I was the whiskey over there. comes from. Yeah, exactly where the whiskey comes from. And uh, so yeah, I moved over there and that all, it didn't go according to plan and I come back. And just when I come back, I kind of hit 30 and I moved back in with my mum and dad after this disastrous marriage. And um, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I was unemployed. And then I seen an advert on Gumtree saying, uh, yeah, looking to start a Beatles tribute band. So looking for someone who could do John or Paul. And the person who'd put that up was going, I could do John or Paul. So I gave them a shout and I was like, oh, you know what? Like, uh, I've got a little, I had like a copy violin bass. It was a piece of shit. I was like, yeah, I'd be up for this. I could do John or Paul, but I've got a little violin bass copy. You know, he was like, all right, cool. And then I didn't hear anything for months. And along the line, I contacted again and went, oh, should get this going. So we did. And it was turned out to be Clark, who I'd met some years before. Um, when I put his band on at a night I was doing. <laughs> I should and, explain uh, we quickly. We were all older. Uh, I'll just explain that Clark is uh, Clark Gilmore, who... Um, is also a, a songwriter, but he plays John Lennon in in Beatles World, and he's a mutual. So he's a mutual friend of ours, but you've known him a, a heck of a lot longer than I have. Yeah, I mean, I first came across Clark. Someone sent me a demo of one of his songs, which I thought was great, and it sounded really kinksy. It was called A Matter of Time, I think. Mm. I was like, oh yeah, and we were doing a night. Me and some of my mates who were all like a lot of my mates are like serious sixties psych heads. You know, and I was like, yeah, these guys sound like the kinks. They're awesome. So we'll put them on at the night. And then Clark and his mates turned up and they were pissed and they were rotten. <laughs> <laughs> My mates were all giving me a hard time. You know, they were like a kind of substandard Libertines tribute. <laughs> uh, now that that's unfair. No, they, no, they were all decent. Like, but they just, they were a bit kind of rough around the edges. Yeah. And all my mates were like, oh yeah, what are they all about, these kids? So that's how we met Clark. And we kept in contact every now and again and talked about Beatles guitars and stuff. Um, just on MSN. Remember that, kids? I do, MSN. I do remember MSN. That's how, how I met my wife. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, but, um, oh dear. Yeah, so it turned out, Turned out the guy who put the advert up was uh, young Clark. Oh, and, ah. uh, you know, that was that was just over ten years ago. I didn't know that, that story. Off. That's that's really cool. Um, so then you uh, you just sort of you carried on playing in Beatles shows. Like, um, I mean, guess that that's how we met is through playing in in Beatles tribute. But you were recording. Let's going back to the recording stuff. So you you said you were messing about with four tracks, and then um, can you tell me a bit about what your studio's like now? It I've seen pictures of it, and it looks like a um, a bit of a creative paradise. <laughs> well, at the moment, I've just kind of uh, progressed through the years, trying to improve certain things that I can, and then sometimes even if something shit, I'll stick with it if it works. And at the moment, I'm running, a, <laughs> I'm running a laptop that I think was made in 2009, <laughs> with a copy of Cubase Five, also from 2009. But they do what I want them to do. And uh, my board, I've got one of these things that came out last year. It's called a Zoom Live Track L20. Okay. Um, I don't know if a lot of people have got these at the moment, but they're awesome. You know, I used to really like the Zoom R16, which was a little. 
uh, interface stroke standalone recorder that had eight inputs that you could record at once. This yeah. is kind of like the new version of that, except it's got 20 simultaneous inputs. So I basically have everything set up in my studio, always ready to record. I've got like my piano mic'd up in stereo. I've got like my kind of uh, valve analog addicts preamp, always ready to go as a DI or a, a mic preamp. And I've got, you know, um, well, you know, just like my DI and my bass amp, everyone's always ready to go so that if I feel like doing something, you know, I just have to kind of hit record, uh, which is great. So I, I kind of changed my garage into like a studio kind of thing last year, this time last year. And uh, I was doing drums and all that, but my neighbours weren't keen on it, so it put me off. <laughs> I need to build I need to build another layer of wall in it and I've just not got around to it. So I moved back indoors to my spare room and I quite like it in here. It's actually, it's quite small, but it's cosy and everything's to hand. So I had a really bad workflow for a while and I wasn't, everything seemed to take ages, but that period seems to be over and I'm back to like, just, you know, you know, you know, when you're doing something, you don't, you don't think. Yes. You you don't kind of uh, procrastinate too much. I was doing that for a long time when I was getting really bogged down and doing anything, but now I'm, you know, I'm flying. It's good. From what we've done together, you seem, you do seem to want to work quite quickly. You 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 have an idea and you pounce on it really fast. And I think having everything set up seems to to help with that. Yeah, very much so. Um. So, what are you using? Just I I know people will be interested in it, and I'm interested. What so Mike's wise. Um, what have you got going on? Have you 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 were telling me the other day you had some D nineteens that you're not using at the minute? Yeah, I was using them uh, mainly for drums because uh, you know I always had my uh, Ludwig downbeat kit set up. Mm -hmm. So I was basically I was basically using the the D nineteens in a kind of hybrid setup. So um, you know when the Beatles stuff, they would have like the one D nineteen overhead. Uh, well, you know, from Rubber Soul and Revolver. Yeah. But then, obviously, they added they added more. And when we look at that picture that I sent you the other week of Ringo, yes, you think about the way that other microphone is over the tom tom. Yeah. It's really, you know, it's quite far away from the tom, so that 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 mic is going to be picking up a lot of the kit as well. So it's almost it's almost like a, a Glenn Johns technique. So. What I done with my D nineteens is I moved the one over the tom, just angled it a bit more, so it was basically using D nineteens and a Glenn Johns technique. So it's a kind of hybrid of the Beatles sound and the Glenn Johns thing. If you get the distance right, so yeah. that that was a sound that was kind of working quite well for me. It's obviously it's very bright. I don't understand how in Abbey Road they could use those D nineteens, and they didn't they didn't seem harsh. You don't use those microphones, right? They sound very harsh because they're so bright and brittle. Yeah, um, I I had one of the the D nineteen. Is it E? Uh, the yeah, the E's the the E's are excellent. I had I did I had an E and it was the best one I've ever had. And yeah. it had an XLR on the bottom, and it broke. I was so upset. That one sounded excellent. It was really good. I found that to be a little on the bright side as well. Um, just when I was using it, I was I was borrowing it off a friend, and I don't have it anymore. Um, but they're they're on my shopping list. Um, what what else have you got going on at the moment, Mike's wise? Uh, well, I've got the uh, the one that you turned me on to was the 
the Zodia um, Babe yes. modified Reslo. So that's 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 what I'm speaking for at the moment. Actually, is the old Beeb. Oh, cool. And, uh, that's that's just a great mic. It's a great all rounder. And the best thing about it, and oh, ribbon mics in general, you know, you can get a good bit of distance on it in the room. Like if I'm recording acoustic guitar sometimes, and it sounds a bit up front, just push the just push the mic stand back a, a couple of feet. You get a, you still get a really nice full tone, but. You get the, the nice side of the room as well, whereas, whereas with a condenser, it would start to sound pretty boxy. Yes. With a beeb, you can get a bit of distance, still get a nice tone, and it does weird things at a distance as well. You start to get kind of cool overtones and stuff that, you know, you can make it fit in recording with that texture that it does. So I love that mic. Mother mics that I usually use are an SM57. Some gets used for everything. Sometimes I use that in vocals for uh, for the Love Hearts one. Yes. Use that on the vocals, and uh, and then I've got one of those Pile SM57 copies as well, <laughs> which cost a tenner. Pile P Y L E. I've not heard of them. They're great, man. It's like a ten pound mic SM57. It looks just like one, <laughs> and it sounds like one. It's it's, it's a touch brighter. And it actually sounds a bit like a D19, man. I would recommend checking them out. Mm, you could cool. maybe stick them under your toms and that kind of Ringo way. But um, they, that's really cool. And it's 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 like a slightly brighter SM57 sound. And uh, what else? I've got I've got tons of stuff that I hardly use at the moment. I've got <laughs> an old I've got an old 60s Sennheiser uh, 421. You know the big square one. Yeah, the one that's uh, really M plastic. MD421. I've got one of them that I picked up in cash converters for 15 quid. Wow. 15 years ago. <laughs> and uh, what else have I got? On my piano, uh, for a while, this company called Karma Audio done these great little microphones called um, Bullet Bullet things or something. All right. And uh, I've, got, I've got a box of them, and at the time they were like 70 quid for five mics, and it was insane. They're these little tiny, they are literally the size of a bullet. You know, you put you, the XLR on one end and then it's like two, an inch and a half, two inch size microphone. Those are Omni uh, condensers. Mm -hmm. So they're amazing sounding. I've got two of them on the piano, behind my piano. They're always set up. And uh, at the moment, that's a bit, I'm quite, I'm, I don't really have a, a large diaphragm condenser that I'm using at the moment. I've kind of went off them. But um, I'd quite like to get one of the Neumann clones that various people are doing. That's probably my next microphone purchase, some kind of Neumann-esque yeah. thing. They're not something I've looked into massively because obviously I'm <laughs> only interested in drums, really, so I haven't haven't looked at too much at the Neumann stuff or even any clones. Um, I'll be interested to see what you get because I think you've got, it seems like you've got a good ear for, for what, getting good sounds out of inexpensive gear. Yeah, that's uh, Stam. Is it Stam Audio? S-T-A-M. Yeah, they're supposed to do a really good uh, Neumann kind of clone. All right. Um, Again, another one I've got. Uh, yeah. But they're the ones that make the Fairchild clones as well. Uh. Um, the, the Stam Child. Stam Child, something. Too expensive for me anyway. <laughs> How are you getting on with the um the analog addicts, Prees? Well, funnily enough, like I had a kind of reminder on Facebook that it was just pretty much four years ago that I bought that. And um 
you know it's great i use it i use it a lot uh, most i'll tell you what i use it for mostly like if i'm doing a direct signal from a base or something yeah i just plug it right in the front with that guy and you get a nice just just a nice bit of kind of um you know it's got good transformers in it and stuff and uh definitely gives everything a, a, just a little bit of edge and it seems to sit better things sit better when i've done it through that as well so i agree it's a nice I'm unit and it's yeah, it's held it's held up really well. I've never never had any problems with it in four years. I um I once thought that I had an issue with mine and I, I rang the chap up. I can't remember what his name is now. Um but I uh, I messaged him I think actually I messaged him on Facebook and uh I mess and chatted to him and he, he seems like a really nice guy. And um he he was kind of alluding to the fact that he didn't think it would be an issue with the um with the prees and I can't remember what it was now, but I ended up taking it out and unscrewing it and then checking everything that needed to be checked, like checking all the valves and everything um, yeah. with, with kind of him talking me through it on messenger. And it turned out not to be his prees that were the problem. And then when I told him, he said, he was saying like, yes, I, I build them really well. <laughs> I'm, I was pretty confident it wasn't me that was wrong. And uh, <laughs> they're pretty robust. I think. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we thought, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I'm I've got a half an eye on one of his Poltec copies. I'd love to have one of those, but again, pretty expensive. And uh, I'll tell you what's good. So I've got two of those um, Clark Technique do a Poltec copy now, and it's like two hundred odd quid on Tommen. Ah. I've got two of them. They're they're awesome, man. That's a that's a good price range. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got two of them, and. Uh, I, I mastered a few things last year with them and thought they sounded excellent. Oh, you sent uh, I remember you sending me something you'd worked on and it did sound really nice. Yeah. Um, to get them on the go again. I should mention the um just for anybody that's listening the the mics the Reslos that we talked about because we've had um Stuart Taverner who from Exordia um or Zordia or however you're supposed to say it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe it is Exordia, but I'm I'm just called Zodia, Zodia, hi well, Zodia. <laughs> like it, like it's a a, a Greek goddess or something, um, the, go- <laughs> the goddess of ribbon microphones. Um, I we we I had him on the show. Um, think episode three. Um, so it'd be a good good little plug for him. So if you go and check out the um the Exordia Zodia website, he sells um upgrades of the Reslo RB one, and I think they're about two hundred quid each. So really reasonably priced and does a he does a fantastic job on them. Um absolutely. This microphone is just uh it's my absolute go to main microphone. I've got another got another uh, RB one that I've been meaning to send to him for a while. So as soon as I as soon as I start making some money, it's going down to him. Uh really excellent microphone. Can't say enough about it. It's just fantastic on anything and everything. So let's talk a little bit about um, your creative process. Uh, we've been working together for a couple of years, is it? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I do, uh, y- if you're listening to this, you may know, I do the remote sessions thing from my studio in, in Leeds and Joe sends me tracks down from Glasgow. And um, we, it always, it just amazes me that every, how much you write and how um you always seem to have really strong references for what you want um and 
that says to me that you've got quite a focused. So when you you can picture the song in your head and you just sort of go for a very particular sound every time. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, um, probably a bit too much. <laughs> Sometimes I remember. I remember there was one track actually. One of the ones that I like the best that you drummed on was the one where I didn't tell you anything to do. I just I had the Sergeant Pepper loop over it. Uh, and I think yeah. I just sent I just sent it and went, Oh, just do what you like. <laughs> <laughs> and um what you what you done on that one was excellent. I think sometimes I'm too specific. Especially if, if I've if, if there's one that I've done drums on, I think I get too hung up on the drums being the same as what I've done. So probably on the next batch of stuff I'll just go like, oh just whatever. I think that's it's quite nice when you get surprised. Uh, on one of your tracks by something that you didn't expect, I th- that that's kind of almost more pleasurable than going, oh my god, the snare drum's not, the fill's not right, you know, and <laughs> you get too hung up on that. Have you? And I think that's sorry, go one on. of the things of, you know, when you're working with musicians like in the same room and stuff, it's great to get that collaboration thing, because uh, it's easier to surprise each other when it's happening in the moment. Um, you know, this is great as well. So, do you find that? You, in the past, you've been. I, I don't know this, and the answer may well be no. Um, but do you? I'll, I'll preface this question. So, one of the things I like about working with you is that you're uh, you are focused with what you want, which makes my job easier. But at the same time, you are really open to input from um, from other people. So, if I play something that you maybe didn't ask for, or you know, as a how about this? You're always open to new ideas. And I find that yeah. um, when I work with people who are like that, it's often because they've been the opposite of that in the past and have decided, made a conscious decision to that being too hung up on certain things isn't productive and they they often switch to, the, to, the, to where you are now. Yeah. So I guess my question is, have you, have, were you like that at one point? Well, I think I've always been a bit like that. I think, um, I mean, I've been in a lot of bands as well, so I do like the arrangement thing where it's like you're a producer and arranger of your track and you say, you know, if you were in a studio with a bunch of musicians and you were paying them, you would say, right, this is how I want it. That's it. You know, that's the final word, really, when you're being paid. Yeah. Play on something, which is a different world from being in a band. Yes. You know, but... um. I'm that way now. Where a lot of my music I make, I've 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 done, I've done so many tracks that are supposed to be a certain way over the years. Like, or it's based on, it's based on something that I like. Be it like the Beatles or Phil Spector, or a Motown thing. I'm always trying to cop those sounds, and I've done them many times. So, you stop. You know, if I'm playing on something, and I know how it wants to be. You stop surprising yourself, and you stop. You get bored of your own music, which is the biggest crime of all, <laughs> because then you lose your momentum and you lose any interest in what you're doing. So how can you expect other people to listen to it if, if it's boring you? So I absolutely love being surprised on my stuff. And um, the last album that I made, actually, that you you kind of played on a few songs, was all about me trying to get other people in, try out different stuff because I've seen. A documentary about Steely Dan making their Asia, 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 Asia I could, album. I, I've always said Asia. Asia, yeah, I think that's what it is. And they were talking about getting multiple people in for guitar solos and trying out different people. 
see what they could and I loved the idea of that where it's like well so I decided to work with lots of different people on that album different musicians for different tracks who I thought would be right for the song and then um, that's what that album was all about it was for me trying out different stuff and going for a different sound and I loved that you know it wasn't the most uh, commercial <laughs> album or critically appraised but for me it was it was a great album and it, it opened my ears up a wee bit to like some different stuff and different techniques recording techniques as well that I, that I think um, it, I improved a lot of what I was doing from before with that album so let's let's dive into a bit of that then. How maybe with that album or or others, what um do you have maybe is there any standout techniques? I I know we when we were chatting about doing this podcast, you mentioned that there's it seems to be drums that you're always um you're always mixing it up on, which works for me because I'd love it. I'm I'm happy to talk about drums. Um but is there any standout techniques that you've used? that would you think would be interesting for people to hear about? Um, one of the main things I've done with drums in that album, um, I suppose I really like when a snare drum is very present in the middle of a mix and is really clear. So what I've done with my snare drum is, I suppose lots of people do this now, but it was just the first time that I'd done it and I hadn't particularly read about anyone else doing it. I know people do do it, but I just took a big full stereo sample of my snare and I used a little free VST thing to kind of trigger it on my drum tracks. So my recorded snare was there and I had like the kind of snare samples. It wasn't like I was using like some other guy's snare <laughs> sample to kind of make my sound, but it was my snare drum the same way it was tuned, but just really present. I, I love the ELO sound, you know, mm. and um, I think Jeff Lynne used to overdub more snares and stuff. And uh, so I like that. I like to get very clear snare drum uh, that's just massive right in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so on a couple of songs in the album are done like that. And um, I don't like messing about with drums too much after they've been recorded. But yeah, that snare drum thing was good and it kind of done something that was pleasing to my ears. There was one that we did recently where we it was a bit of a Lady Madonna vibe where we did, um, I played, I think it was just a hi-hat and snare beat all the way through and then uh -huh. overdubbed another regular beat that was like the main beat of the song. So it had almost like the first beat operating as a... Um, as a percussion sort of percussion loop that was going on through yeah. the song, and you played around with that. What did you make it mono and and EQ'd it really heavily somewhere? Or well, one of them. It's it's, it's a very it's a Paul McCartney production technique that because not it does it got Ringo to do it in Lady Madonna. Ringo plays like the the normal rock and beat and a kind of double time shuffle thing as well. But Paul used it, I think, to the best. The best example is on a song he produced for the Bonzo Dog Duda band, which is called I'm the Urban Spaceman. And yes. uh, on that, it starts off with a double time beat, and it's almost like a very a distant mono recording. And then the overdub, and uh, it works really well. It gives it a kind of very cool feel. 
So yeah, what I done was uh, were you got you to do the double. T- it's basically a rip off Urban Spaceman, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I described there. But with the fast, with the faster beat, actually put it into a an amp sim and also a wah wah pedal. So I got it in an auto wah, so it's going. And it sounds a bit like an electro wobble board. <laughs> uh, yeah, that kind of works quite well. I quite like that sound. So yeah, I've done something that was already done by someone else, but then I changed it slightly to sound like a wobble board, basically. <laughs> so when you when you're writing, do you did you set out for that particular tune? Did you think I'm gonna do this urban spaceman thing, or did you? did that come around after i mean what what i'm asking is did you do you have a do you get did you get that song in your head first and then go i'm going to write a song like that or did you have the germination of a song and think it could suit that production style when i when i wrote the song i knew sorry when i wrote the song i knew it was going to be i, I wrote it in the style kind of of neil innes who done the bonzo dog Duda band and also the ruttles yeah in my head, I was in my head. I was doing it like him in that kind of style, anyway. Yeah, so I knew it would have that kind of vibe. The kind of uh, yeah, he he went for that kind of vibe. So definitely thought it will have that. And that song I actually wrote three or four years ago, so it's been sitting about for quite a while. And um, I always kept thinking about the song, and I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do that beat. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> one of that. the other things I like. Is that you? So I don't do this for anybody else, but you. I often just send you a stereo mix of the drums, and you're happy with that. And I, I love oh. how. I don't even know how to describe it. How casual <laughs> you are about it, because, uh, I just think you. I think you said it to me once in a message that you just don't want to make any decisions, or something to words to that effect. And I I love the ballsiness of just taking a stereo drum mix that I choose and and you making it work. I love I love it. Well, the reason I liked it, the first time you sent me one of them was, I can't, I think it was the song where I originally had the Sergeant Pepper loop going. Mm-hmm. You sent me the stereo mix and I just slotted it in and it sounded great and I was like, right, cool, just keep doing that. <laughs> because the more, the less I have to fiddle about and tweak drums are the worst. I will sit and tweak the life out of a drum mix and to the point where I just hate it. So like to have a nice finished stereo mix of drums. But what I always do with the stereo mix as well is I'll, I'll double it and then I'll do the parallel drum compression. So I'll take one and just smash it um, with compression and a bit of saturation and stuff and then mix the two so you get a bit more energy out of it, you know? Yeah. I love that sound. It. It was so full of life. It was one of my favourites, and it's one of the things I don't, I don't ever get to do because I don't ever do mixes. But I love it when I hear it. Yeah, um, a lot of fun. So we've just, um, so we're recording this, this in the. I've said this sentence in these podcasts so many times in the midst of the COVID nineteen crisis, and um, <laughs> you've uh, you started a fundraiser. I've. I've I call it, I've been calling it a fundraising project um, when I've been talking about it with other friends of mine um, called uh, Chino Feldi. And that did did you know that you were going to start that before this happened or did it just sort of come out of, was it born in out of the crisis? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't exist before this at all. It was basically, Marco and I have always, uh, you know, we've been friends for a long time. And we've, we've very rarely done any music together, which is crazy. We've done the odd thing together. But, you know, we're always talking every day about this or that, and we'll do this one day. So basically, we just found ourselves with the time to do something. And um, I put, an, I put an, a, a video appeal up on my Facebook page saying... Anybody wants to give us any ideas for songs, song titles, lyrics, anything, you know, chip in and we'll we'll make some songs about it. Just so that Marco and I could do something and keep ourselves sane. <laughs> and um out, out of that we got various ideas and the first one we done was called Bat Soup Pandemic. <laughs> um you know, we created this track and a video for it and you know, it seemed to be a laugh. And then we've done a few more. And that was it. No, it didn't. It didn't exist before this at all, and it's just been a kind of um, uh, some kind of response, I suppose, to to this. And I suppose the songs have all been quite about this. So it's just a cathartic, fun project. And I think the, the good thing about it is, is other people can join in and give ideas. And we've been we've tried to be quite, um, you know, reach out to people to get involved as well, which is cool. It's raised quite a lot of money for the NHS appeal as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's it's done all right. Like we initially put a little link with the video, and I think we made about five hundred pounds off that. And I think from the actual sale of the stay home, it's about another five hundred pounds as well. So, you know, it's done all right. And uh, yeah, that's just a nice side effect that we could give a bit of cash to help out. You know, but it was nice to just do a track as well. And we didn't spef- specifically do the track thinking. Oh, you know, we're going to do this for charity, man. We just done a track, and then thought, well, we might as well, you know, help out. Yeah. What's the writing process like? Because so Marco has a studio in Glasgow as well. I I didn't know Marco before this project existed. So I played drums on on the Chino Feldy project, and I I didn't wasn't aware of Marco. But just tell us a bit about what he does. Uh, Marco's got a fantastic studio that he built. Up on his uh, his ranch, <laughs> um, called the barn, and it's a great little place. And I've done various things over the years up there, and uh, been at various parties up there and stuff. It's a great place. Uh, so Marco does a lot of teaching and uh, music classes with kids and stuff, and then he does uh, recording sessions as well for various people. So Marco's just one of the insanely big, busy, get biggie. Busy guy, <laughs> and uh, we've been, you know, having a lot of fun doing this. It's been good. How does the the writing work between you guys? Uh, I said to Marco for the first couple of tracks, you know, let's pick a tempo. We'll pick a tempo and pick a key. You go and write a couple of bits, and I'll write a couple of bits, and we'll just fit them together. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that's it. That's it, and that's how it worked. I mean, again, like when you sent me the references for the tracks, it was, they just worked perfectly. So was that just, I mean, that must have just been like happy accidents that you both ended up with. Um, what was the, the, so the Love Hearts track, which isn't, it will be out by the time this is out, is, huh? what was the reference you sent, sent for me for that? I can't remember now. Um, it was a 70s Status quo. Band. Say that again, sorry. Yes. Yeah, so- in a 70s status quo vibe. Status quo, that's the one. Um, yeah. I'm guessing that you didn't set out to write in a status quo vibe. It just kind of came 
Oh, no, no, no. Marco and I totally said we're going to write a status quo song. Oh. <laughs> that that was like, right, status quo, it's in D, tempo's 160, go. You know, that was it. And the suggestion and then, for the title of that song came from um, another friend of ours, Children, didn't it? Yeah. So in one of our initial appeal, in our initial appeal, Chris, my good friend Chris Webb, who's also an amazing drummer, um, said as little girls had come up with ideas for songs. One was Love Hearts about the sweets and the other was I Picked a Good Book Today, just about and Betsy and Arabella. So we've actually written both of those songs. The other one was yet to record. I went to pick my book today. It's got a kinksy vibe. Nice. But yeah. Um, couple of like random questions. Uh, what's your? This is a bit of an ambiguous question, but what's what's the your favorite off the wall thing that you've done to get a sound on a record? <laughs> oh, I'm properly oh. putting you on the spot here. I can yeah. edit out all the um and ah and if you want. <laughs> I'll keep them in. They're the best bits. That's the sound of the brain. Hogs <laughs> whirring. I don't need to have a think of it there. Do you done a lot of things. Do you want me to ask you another question while you while you wear it over? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have a. I mean, I've, yeah. Ask me something else. I'll have a think about that. So what's what's your um what's the piece of gear that you've got that you couldn't live without? Your desert island piece of gear. It could be an instrument, it could be uh, a microphone, could be your desk, could be anything. You know, I think it would have to be my my piano. Um, it's not a particularly good piano or a particularly nice piano, but um, I love it. And the last piano tuner that came says he wouldn't tune it. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I just think it's got a really nice... I don't know, it's got quite a bright sound and I, I think it's quite a beetly sound. And I used to have tacks on it. I put like a, you know, thumb tacks on all the hammers. Yeah. That really plinky plonky sound. They're off at the moment, but it still sounds like that anyway, I think. <laughs> still sounds, I think it's just inherited the sound that it just always sounds like it's got tacks a bit. Where it does, it where does need... I was just going to say, where did, where did that technique come from? Um, It's something they used to do, like either... They call it tack piano. In the Abbey Road, they had the Mrs. Mills piano. Yeah. Uh, which I think was actually painted with cellulose, I think, that one. But then the other challenge that they had, had you know, pianos have usually got two pedals, one for sustain, one to mute. And this had a third pedal. If you put the third pedal down on that challenge, it had a axe on like a felt that come down in between the hammers have it on or off i think that one was broken i'm not sure the mm. one the tack thing was broken on that one but yeah that that it's just something that's always existed sometimes it's tacks sometimes they just paint it with hard like cellulose paint so the hammers are hard just an old style kind of um linky plonky technique <laughs> <laughs> i um didn't know that that's really interesting um last one then what's your this is probably a tough one because I don't think I could answer it. But what's your favourite Beatles song to play? Oh, God. Um, in any given week, it can be different. I, I really like playing um, in a gig. I don't feel like I've started doing a gig yet until I play A Hard Day's Night. Mm. 
I don't feel like I'm standing right or like <laughs> going for it until I play that song. And it's not because it's like my favourite song or by any means. I, I love the song, like I love many of the songs, but there's something about playing it in a gig where I feel like you're really in the zone when you do that song. I think it's because it's got a good John bit and a good Paul bit. And it's just very exciting to play. It's a good kind of groove to go forward with, you know? Like mm. it's just it's got something. And when, it's, when you do it right, you're like, okay. We're here playing. Yeah, I love playing that song live. Yeah. I, it's, I think that's one of my favorites. Ringo's beat just is belting all the way through. It's the same dynamic. Yeah, it's just no let up from start to finish. Very little fill action going on. It does like a little dum, dum, dum. And I think that's like as close as it gets to a fill. Or there's, there's like a little dun, 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 dun or something. But mostly it's just going boom, chim, boom, 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 chim, boom, boom, chim, boom, 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 chim. And it's just like, there you go. That's it. It's amazing. What um so most shows most Beatles shows have a you know a, a rain I would say there's probably about sixty tunes that get played regularly, maybe seventy. Yeah. What what of outside of those tunes, is there one or two that you wish that we did play? Well, I'm I'm very lucky that I was in a band with Clark who we were talking about earlier where we got we played tons and tons of Beatles songs uh, out with the usual Beatles band Rima and that's what we were famous for because we used to do uh, like full albums and stuff and we done every album from Please Please Me up until up to Rubber Soul and we done a hell of a lot of album tracks from the, the other albums as well so there's a couple of songs that we never done that I would love to have done and they would be we never ever played Maxwell's Silver Hammer yeah. love to do that and we never ever played Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey. <laughs> uh, I would love to have done that. And we never ever played, hmm, I think we played most of Revolver. Um, we never ever played, I don't know, Your Mother Should Know. We never ever played that. Oh. I would have loved to have done that. So there you go. Yeah, there's a f few surprising ones in there. I'm surprised you didn't do Maxwell Silver Hammer because I would have thought that would be reasonably straightforward to do. Well, that little piano run in it is insanely hard. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. Oh yeah. I don't think the bootleg Beatles. I don't think the bootleg Beatles had that little piano run when they done Al Abbey Road last year. Because yeah. it's like doodly doodly doodly, and I'm not sure I all played that. It's quite a hard bit. Or if it was maybe George Martin, but it probably was Paul. He was quite good. I'd I'd need to uh need to look it up. I don't know. Uh, any thoughts on your on your favourite technique that you've used? Um, I mean, I wouldn't call them techniques or anything. Like something that I done in my last album that I thought was quite cool was I actually put bass drum microphones on my toms, um, and they sounded big and fat. So I had like a an AKG D twelve. Mm. on my rack tom oh, nice. <laughs> and it, you know huge huge thing attached to the rim and uh, i had like mother i've got this like, little super lux bass drum microphone and it was a cheap piece of shit but it sounds amazing i've actually got that on my bass amp at the moment yeah i had that on the floor tom so it seemed to make the toms just really nice and deep and i would i would do that again like if i was recording drums which i'm not and that's one of the great things uh, as you were saying earlier, you've been sending me like drum mixes and stuff. And I think that's what's actually helped me get into a better flow musically, that I'm not thinking about recording drums. <laughs> it was just one of these things that was the bane of my existence. I loved it and I hated it in equal measure. And I was always 
you know, I would spend a whole day just trying to record drums and not even do a song, just to try and get the sound that I wanted. And um, I would torture myself recording drums, absolutely torture myself. So my neighbours done me a favour by fucking complaining about it. Like, a... anyway. <laughs> uh... <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad I could be of some assistance. Yeah, you're all right. You're all right. You. <laughs> um, it's been really lovely chatting to you. Thank you for coming on. No worries. It's been great, yeah. And we should mention, thank you for, uh, I mean, these, if you're listening to the podcast, you, I, in the very first welcome episode, I spouted on um, about how um, appreciative and talented you are. Um, and uh, so we put together the, the intro music and outro music to this podcast, which was quite kind of a fun little thing to do. I sang you a, vo- yeah. a voice memo <laughs> of um, yeah. like an amalgamation. The funny thing about that, the funny thing about that is when on the Sunday morning when I tried to do it and I'd been up drinking all night, <laughs> and I said, "Right, no, I'm doing it. I'm going for it now." And like, and I came in here and I still had like a glass of wine, and I don't know why I thought I was going to do this, but I set it up and I had my casino on. I was trying to do like the opening riff to Revolution, no, 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 and I could just. Fucking tried it about a hundred times and then just fell asleep <laughs> with my guitar on and slumped in the seat. So that was that. Yeah, then the next day I nailed it, of course. But um, yeah, so that's my funny story about that particular <laughs> jingle recording session. Well, thank you for, for putting the time in because, uh, I mean, I've, I've listened to it a thousand times already and, and I, I still love it. I think it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, nice one. I um, think like... Uh, the bit, the bit that I like the best is the tell me why bit. I think that sounds the best. Mm. But that's one of uh, the... I've got my piano doing the dong dong, and I've worked, I've worked out the kind of the right voicing that they're doing. I think, and it sounds dead pleased with that. But yeah, you nailed it. And um, where can people find you online? Um, well, obviously, my I've got a band camp, and that's got a lot of the stuff that we've not mentioned. I should mention quickly. I've done a bunch of albums that I produced with my mate Stu called Dr. Cosmo's Tape Lab. Ah. And um, that stuff's really worth checking out because after uh, I'd done the Ousley Sunshine, I had a bit of a period where I didn't do much. I'd done a couple of solo albums. And then when I started doing Dr. Cosmo, I got back into recording again properly. And uh, that's been, you know, for the last seven or eight years. That stuff is worth checking out. A couple of great albums, really inventive albums. And since then, I've just been doing uh, kind of solo stuff again with various people. And yeah, so you can check it out at my band camp anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've got all the Isla Sunshine stuff there, my solo albums and the new Radiophonic Tuck Shop. There's been two albums of that, a Christmas album and a non-Christmas album. And there's a new one coming soon as well, which is a uh, quite beatily, but also a bit out there as well. So that'll be coming in the next few months, hopefully. So if people search Joe Kane on Bandcamp, will they find it? Yeah. 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 I'll, I'd I'll... like to be more specific. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. I'll find it and I'll, I'll put links to it all in the show notes on um, on Podbean for this. Yeah, check it out, people. Um, on Buy It, etc. I, I mean, I'd definitely recommend it. I love listening to it. My, I've got a three-year-old daughter, and I sent you that video of her dancing along to Love Hearts, and she's uh, she abs- uh-huh. she sings "Stay Her Stay at Home," um, just by herself around the house. She loves it. That's cool. 
kids kids always seem to like the music that I make and I always think kids are a good barometer for music <laughs> like if something's catchy kids like it and um, I think that's good kids always seem to like my daft music <laughs> I think that's really fair <laughs> I think that's a really good really good shout um, cool well, yeah. well thanks again and uh, yeah there we are so I'll, I'll just um, I'll just put music to fade that out <laughs> like i'll all right cool what i Thanks do is... for having me man i enjoyed that it was good that's cool man thank you for coming on and chatting it's um so there we go joe kane um and as usual i hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as i enjoyed having it um i think uh obviously because i know joe reasonably well that was a much more casual conversation um than past episodes um so i uh i tried to leave it fairly um what's the word fairly jovial um and i hope you enjoyed it anyway um and uh i'm gonna rush out and buy uh 30 pounds worth of microphones off amazon <laughs> um okay uh, i'm gonna put links in the show notes to all of joe's um Bandcamp pages i recommend checking it out um r- the radiophonic tuck shop has an album coming out i think i'm allowed to say uh, in the autumn so september october time um, go and check out the Chino Feldy stuff, um, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, next week, we are chatting to Alan White. Um, I did warn you, there is a bit of a drumtastic period coming along um, over the next few episodes. So Alan White's next, um, who of course played drums uh, with John Lennon, um, George Harrison, um, and he was extremely generous with his time and was an absolutely lovely chap. Everybody I speak to is a, a lovely person, an absolutely lovely person. Yeah, every, everybody's just really nice. <laughs> okay, um, as usual, if you'd like to get in touch with me, um, you can visit my website, allyouneedisdrums.com. I'm on Instagram, allyouneedisdrums, um, or the email address is joe at allyouneedisdrums.com. Um, and I hope you have a fantastic couple of weeks. Um, I know I've said thank you to Joe enough times during this podcast, but... Um, I once thank Joe for the amazing work he does. He did with the intro and outro of this, and my good friend David Henshaw um, for the artwork that he supplies for this and my isolated drums that I send out every fortnight. Um, he does both of those, and I'm very grateful. Um, so yeah, have a fantastic couple of weeks, and I'll see you on the next episode with Alan White. Goodbye. <laughs>